0: Hello and welcome to the latest Lancet podcast, I'm Richard Lane. This week we're discussing a health policy article published online at 23.30 UK time Sunday, November the 22nd and this very much concerns the response to the Ebola outbreak in West Africa that has been taking place since 2014 and what an absolute catastrophe that has been with over 11,000 lives lost. The health policy piece we're about to discuss is a result of work primarily between Harvard Global Health Institute and the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. It's very much an independent panel's assessment of what went wrong with the response to the Ebola outbreak. that can be learned for the future for any other outbreaks and there are a series of 10 recommendations in the paper which I do encourage you all to read. There isn't time to discuss all the recommendations but I did discuss some of the highlights with one of the authors of the paper and the chair of this panel that's been convened to assess the response to the Ebola crisis and that is Professor Peter Piot who is head at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. Professor Peter Piot, many thanks indeed for talking to The Lancet. But the key thing that your report talks about, 10 recommendations, and they're hard-hitting recommendations. Fundamentally, you talk about the importance of building core capacity within countries that are potentially affected. Can you just explain what this means and, and how it can be done?
1: The first issue that this panel on uh, lessons from Ebola that we brought together from uh, Harvard. Global Health Initiative and the London School of and Tropical Medicine was to say one, we will always have emerging infections and coming from animals and whether it's known infections such as Ebola or totally new ones such as MERS and SARS uh, and HIV also that all came out of the blue. Um, countries, uh, particularly those who are more vulnerable to new infections and emerging infections should have a better capacity and we need to support them. That's not only in the interest of um, these countries and their populations, but also is a global good because as we've seen with um, the epidemic in West Africa, things can get out of hand with global implications. So there are many uh, commitments now that have been made, but they have to be translated into something concrete. What all countries need is public health systems. We talk about a lot about strengthening health services. And that's obviously very important to provide care to people. But we also need public health systems that are dealing with good laboratories that detect early on infections. In the case of the Ebola crisis, it took more than three months before the diagnosis was made. Um, And surveillance systems, uh, training people and paying them and having a a career infrastructure, that is part of a a public health system that is going to be key if we are going to have early warning, early detection, because one of the biggest lessons from this uh, Ebola outbreak is that act early. And if you, any, if you delay any action, the uh, success of containing an epidemic is really far more difficult to obtain.
0: Okay, maybe we'll come back to the how we might do that in terms of the UN structure in a moment. But but just moving on, I mean, at the centre of your paper is, is a critique. And the critique of the World Health Organization has been ongoing for, for many months now. And clearly, there were some, some serious um, systemic faults at the World Health Organization. You're not pointing blame here. You're just trying to improve... The situation for the future, aren't you? And what what are you what are you recommending in terms of the structure and remit of the World Health Organization when it comes to um, emergency, uh, catastrophic infectious disease outbreaks like Ebola?
1: Yeah, more than ever, the world needs a very effective, efficient uh, World Health Organization. Not only for uh, outbreak control, which is part of its uh, constitutional mandate, but also for many other uh, areas where it has convening power. So what we're proposing is a more efficient WHO. We did not try to propose reforms for the whole of WHO. That's beyond our mandate. That would take, um, you know, far more time. But really, how can WHO do better in terms of protecting the world against uh, big epidemics? And uh, it starts with the so-called international health regulations, which is a one of the two health treaties um, together with the Framework Convention on Tobacco Control and its uh, implementation. And here we we've, we've propose that the management of that is done by a an independent Secretariat with a director which reports to the director general of who but also to an independent board that includes member states but also civil society why is that because we feel that early warning uh, decisions about whether a an outbreak constitutes a major public health emergency should be handled without political interference which has been the case very often in the past and and that's normal because these are very difficult decisions with implications for the economy and so on. So that's one type of uh, proposal that we're making. Secondly, is to combine the humanitarian action and the outbreak control activities of WHO in one unit. And that actually, the Director General, Margaret Chan, has acted on that already. She didn't wait for a report. It was also recommended by the stocking report, an internal WHO inquiry. So that is done, and that will be also uh, increase efficiency. And thirdly, a number of what I would say good governance practices, and that is uh, that WHO, just as any other public, uh, publicly funded institution, uh, is subject to the freedom of information uh, rules. Um, that there is accountability of its leadership, that um, you know there is a, an, an inspector general for accounting, and that the reform plans that are now being considered be implemented now, because. What we feel is that um, there is an emergency, and there's urgency for for change, and the momentum is there now. Um, and but the risk is that uh, a year from now, people will have forgotten that there was this uh, devastating epidemic.
0: Yeah. You also talk, one of your priorities, as I said, we don't have time to discuss all 10. They are in the paper for everyone to see. One one of the recommendations is, is of course, the the importance of the need to, to be able to share research information more efficiently in a better way. This is really important, isn't it? Because... We saw with Ebola that a lot of research was going on very, very rapidly, but there was a sense that you know, the left arm didn't know what the right arm was doing in terms of the research community.
1: Yeah, this Ebola epidemic has so often brought out the worst and the best behaviour in people. Uh, the best because of real heroism right, from people on the ground, in the communities, uh, Médecins Sans Frontières, MSF. And also, for the first time, we had a vaccine trial a clinical therapeutic trials going on in the midst of an epidemic that is unprecedented and i think we should underline that that also happened and here i must say who played quite a, a constructive role but on the other hand there's been really bad behavior not sharing data waiting for publication and i must say that the policies of embargo and the conditions that sometimes uh, journals impose are also part of the problem so we need to have a new set of rules so that uh, we have the best research but also on-time exchange of the data of information which can really save lives and so that is really key and that's one of the recommendations of our report
0: one of the final recommendations you make but again it seems one of the most fundamental ones like the building of core capacity that we talked about at the beginning was recommendation for actually having a global health committee, as part of the UN Security Council. Just tell us more about that. That would obviously that would give a mandate to ensure what international an international framework for actually taking action. Is that right at the UN the highest UN level?
1: Yeah, our analysis says that um, you know health um, too important to be left to ministers of health, to doctors, or to WHO. I mean, there are many other players uh, on the financial side, the ministries of finance, treasury. But also, we've seen with uh, a crisis like Ebola, but also with AIDS, that the highest political leadership is necessary. That's why both AIDS and Ebola are the two only health issues that were discussed at the UN Security Council, but also at the G7, at the G20. So we said, okay, there is a need, in addition to the World Health Organization, there is a need for a place where at the highest political level, you know, there can be accountability and discussion and leadership uh, for overseeing the work of, um, you know, to counter epidemics. The Security Council itself is not made for that. Plus, there are veto-powering nations and so on, so that's not ideal, (laughs) but that could be a a committee of it, together with, I would say, the General Assembly of the United Nations, where we see also all countries uh, represented. So that's something that we're proposing that uh, could be another game changer because it would elevate health to a level where it should be discussed but is most of the time not discussed.
0: Indeed. And a final question, uh, Peter, uh, again, returning to the first question about building core capacity and the need to do that. Obviously, that's going to cost that, that costs a lot of money and that takes human resources. Does there need to be new money to, 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 to make that happen?
1: Well, there is a need for money, that's for sure. There are commitments already. For example, the, the United States have committed $1 billion dollars for the health security agenda, and that's to support 30 countries to build these systems. The G7 have made commitments, but without uh, a a figure for money. The UK has made some, uh, also some commitments. I think that the money is not and should not be the problem. It's going to be a challenge, though, uh, as twofold. One is, you know, supporting. Um, the the capacity building, not only laboratories, but also a whole core of people. We saw it also, for example, after the SARS epidemic, where China uh, initially was very reluctant, but then it really took at heart the lessons and established a very, very extensive um, surveillance system for this case for uh, influenza and SARS. That could be done by middle-income countries. It's the low-income countries, the poorest that require our assistance. And the second issue, I think, is that we have WHO, yes, but it is the member states that often are at the core of the problem of um, why WHO cannot deliver, because they cannot agree. So we need some strong leadership there in WHO to make sure that all the member states are behind this new package of reforms.
0: Indeed, well, really important uh, conversation, fascinating article. Most importantly, let's hope there's action on it and we'll follow it closely. Peter Piot, many thanks indeed for talking to The Lancet. Thank you, Richard. Thanks again to Peter Piot and to you all for listening. See you next time.